So this past weekend, we took our uh, high school students to a place called Keyline Cove. Anybody? Anybody ever heard of that place before? Keyline Cove? So uh, for those of you who don't know, I am the youth pastor here at Christ Church Crossroads. And I am uh, over middle school and high school ministry. So lots of fun activities and high energy activities and activities which uh, require very little sleep. So I'm running off of black coffee this morning. I drank some black coffee uh, at breakfast and also in between services. So uh, that's the energy I'm working off of. But as you'll see, I'm a pretty high energy speaker anyway. So uh, unfortunately later my family will probably suffer because I'll be napping in the afternoon, right? Because I've been, you know, uh, in the water park all weekend. But it's been fun. we got a lot of our uh, senior high students over here on uh, your left over here. So really good stuff. So as I was kind of preparing for uh, the message today, I was thinking the, 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 the passage that we're looking at, Psalm 139, which Garth uh, read for us earlier in the service, is a passage that is really talking about what's going on inside of us and kind of a response to what is going on that God is doing inside of us. So I thought, what better way to illustrate kind of what's going on than to use an x-ray illustration? But I mean, I couldn't think, I've only broken one bone, it was my nose, right? So I don't have any really good x-ray illustrations, and I was talking to my wife about it too, and no really good x-ray illustrations, but we do have a really good x-ray story about our dog, all right? So that's the one you're going to get this morning. Um, And a few years ago, my wife and I, we love dogs, we've had dogs for years, and uh, we had two. Uh, our larger dog, uh, one evening, was kind of struggling with a few things. wasn't wanting to eat. You could tell that she was really having some issues. I, I felt her stomach, and her stomach was like hard as a rock, and uh, she wasn't able to go to the bathroom. So I said, those are some good signs that we need to go and take uh, our dog to the vet, and we did. We went to the emergency vet that night and uh, took her in, and they examined her, and kind of came to the conclusion that really the only way that we're going to be able to find out what's going on is to give her an x-ray, and uh, so they did. What they ended up finding was that there was something extremely large and extremely hard in her colon, and so uh, by uh, after the x-ray they told us, you know, we're not going to need to do surgery, and really there's not really any medicine that can treat this, the really only the only medicine we can uh, recommend is taking her for a walk, so... That's what we did. We gave her a walk. And I mean, we walked her around, and we walked her around, and we walked her around, and he said, don't worry, you'll know when it happens, right? So, you know, when it happened, we found, it was pretty obvious, it happened. And uh, anyway, she went ahead and passed a, uh, an amount, she, what she ended up passing was an amount of paper towels that no, no, like, creature should ever try to eat or pass in fact, there were so many paper towels inside of her that there were areas of the paper towel that were perfectly clean. I mean, they were perfect, as if they had never been touched by anyone. But, you know, the story is that when we took our dog in for the x-ray, really the only way to know that there was that way, there was only one way for us to figure out how to get to the bottom of that, was to go in for an x-ray, find out what's going on inside of her, and get to the bottom of that. And I think as we kind of turn our attention to our passage for today, that really is the focus of what we're going to be talking about this morning, which is every single one of us 
needs to get to a place in our lives, and it can't be like me saying to you, hey, this is your problem, you need to do this. Or a friend even saying, and maybe sometimes there's accountability there, but really, this is us individually looking inside of our lives, individually, and saying, God, x-ray me, find the things that I need so that I can turn my life to you. So that's really what Psalm 139 is about. As David is writing this psalm, 139, one of the most familiar psalms in the entire Bible, uh, he's writing this story to, to give himself and anybody who reads Psalm 139 the correct view of God. Because if you have the correct view of God, it changes pretty much everything else that you do in your life. So um, when we have the correct view of God and we know who he is, it changes what we think about obedience and righteousness and death and his will for us and his plan for us. And it takes the perspective off of us as uh, imperfect, finite human beings and puts the focus on him and we can follow him. So if you have your Bibles, I do want to encourage you to turn to the book of Psalms, which is directly in the middle of your Bible. So if you're unfamiliar, you just kind of flip open your Bible right into the middle. You'll be in the book of Psalms and then go to Psalm chapter 139 today. And before I, I read, I do want to kind of uh, I do want to kind of give you just a slight introduction, which is that if we don't have the correct view of God, and it doesn't move us in those things I just shared and so many other things and everything that we experience, then it will lead us on a path of wrong direction and wrong actions and wrong decisions, etc. And I, I love this. It's like a compass pointing north for us to be able to make decisions for our lives that affect every area of our lives. So David begins, David, this, this king of a nation, warrior of a man, and a very emotional guy, and he's pouring his heart out, and he says, uh, you as a nation, talking about the people he led, you guys need to read this. And by the inspiration of God, we have it now in the Bible that you and I can profit from it. And in Psalm 139, the first of the six verses that we're reading, that we're going to go through, are all about how much God knows. That God knows it all. So in the first six verses, it's all about God knowing it all. And he says this in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too much for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. And so these first six verses are all about God knowing it all. And he knows us. He knows you. He knows your thoughts and your actions and 
the difficult circumstances that you may be in right now. He knows the things that you're, that you're excited about right now. And I think when we hear these six verses, there's really one of two responses that we can have, kind of reactions to what we just read. The first one is a reaction of, well, God knows it all. So I'm afraid. Like, I'm afraid because I'm like, uh, God, I really don't want you to know everything that I'm thinking. I really don't want you to know everything. I don't want you to know everything about me. I, I would prefer to kind of keep my distance from you, God. Uh, I think the second response that we can have when we read that is we can have this response of peace and comfort in knowing that God knows it all. God knows my trials and my struggles and my, uh, and my good times and my bad times. And God knows all those things. I think, though, that your initial response to that text will tell you a lot about where you are spiritually. That if your response is, uh, yeah, I'm afraid of that, I'm, I'm fearful of what God knows, it can really tell you a lot about yourself spiritually. If, if your response is peace, it shows you a lot. And I believe that if we're honest with ourselves, I really do believe that this text requires us to be 100% honest with ourselves. To say, um, where am I in my spiritual walk with the Lord? And allow for Him to work in you, to move you in your spiritual walk. And so the first of our six verses are all about God knowing all things. And He guides us in everything. Now, I, I recognize that when you say something like that, especially in church, that that can be a really stuffy and elevated view of God. That makes it impersonal. That makes him somebody that I cannot relate to. But at the same time, if we recognize that truth, we also need to know that God loves us and cares for us and guides us. And that is where, when we know God knows it all, it can bring this unbelievable sense of peace, this unbelievable sense of comfort in knowing that the God who cares about me knows everything about me. That is a great place to be. So, first six verses, all about God knowing all things. The second six verses is all about God being there, that He's present, that God is around. Okay, so let's read those verses, in, starting in verse 7. And the Bible says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in uh, Sheol, and I'm reading, Garth read from the NIV, I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, so that's why maybe a couple of the words are a little bit different. If I make my bed in Sheol, this is verse 8, or the depths, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning, Dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there, your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. Now, I want you guys to recognize that as we're reading this section, that what David is going through is kind of like an emotional response that we would have if we truly recognized what God was, uh, the truth of God in the first six verses. God knows it all. Well, you know what David's response is? Well, how can I get away from God? If God knows everything, I certainly don't want him to know everything about me. So I'm going to run, and where can I go from God? 
Can I go up? Can I go down? Can I go wherever? Wherever it is that I can go. And he's saying, you can't get away from the presence of God. He's, he's just kind of preaching this message to himself. And then he starts to recognize, as he's penning these words, that although he may want to run, his response, instead of running, might be, my God is with me even when I'm doing the things that I know I shouldn't be doing. And he wants the best for me. He guides me. And so look at this in verse uh, 10, we just uh, read in verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Listen, he's having this peace. He's like, oh wow, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light to you. I love that about this, that he wants to run, and then he recognizes while he's writing this, that God is there with him, even when he's struggling. Now, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, great pastor from uh, last century, uh, uh, said this about this passage, that when we look at this passage, it shows us how uh, inadequate we are, how finite we are, that we can only be in one place at one time, and he compares it to like a uh, a toddler believing that they can hide from their parents in a lit room under a blanket. That's what Spurgeon says. That's how ridiculous that is. That's how realistic it is if we read this and say, uh, yeah, I'm going to try to get away from you. I'm going to try That's, That sounds reasonable for me. Uh, and my wife and I, we have an 18-month-old uh, named Ellie, and she's at the age where uh, she'll get into her room full of toys, and one of her favorite things is for us to take a blanket and throw it over her head, like standing, sitting, laying, whatever. She loves it. Because underneath of the blanket, she starts to giggle and laugh and snort and all the things that little babies do, right? And the reason why is because she believes that we can't see her. We don't know where she is. So she's hiding from us, right? And so we go, where's Ellie? Where's Ellie hiding, right? And she laughs, and then we pull the blanket off of her, and she's like, oh, there you are, I found you, right? And, you know, it's like this, we can laugh at that, because when we recognize that a baby is in that state, that they believe that, it's, it's just really, it's just funny. We want to just laugh at it. And the same is true, really, of us. Like, I mean, we can be in that. The reason, I think, why David puts this in here is because our natural reaction to that is to go, that's ridiculous, why would you say that? Why would you say that David thinks he can run from God? Well, that's the natural response that any of us will have. And we need to get to a place where we recognize that. So when you guys think back in Scripture, the very first couple, Adam and Eve, and this is one of the things they were guilty of. They after they sinned, they recognized that God knew them. And they were afraid. So what did they do? They hid. And it did not end well for Adam. What about Jonah? I love the story of Jonah. A great, small book of the Old Testament with some deep stuff. But Jonah says, God says to Jonah, I want you to be a missionary 500 miles from where you are. It's like a world away. And Jonah, instead of saying, no, God, I'm not going to do that. Jonah gets on a boat and tries to go 2,000 miles the opposite way. And as you well know, it didn't end well for Jonah. 
uh, unless you consider being eaten by a fish and spending time in a belly of a fish for a few days, an enjoyable experience or vacation. I mean, that was not pleasant. Didn't it? Well, Saul, same thing. Saul, the New Testament, Saul, before he was Paul, <coughs> ran from God. In fact, right when he was about to be, uh, right at his conversion in Acts chapter 9, it, Saul is talking, or God is talking to Saul, and he's saying, you're, you're moving against me. You're moving against me. You're, you're uh, prodding against my plan for you. My plan for the gospel. You're prodding against it, and you need to stop that. It didn't end well for him. For three days, he was blind because of it. And then he was taken to the town. And then what's amazing about all these stories is they're not there as exceptions to the rule. They're there as examples for us. Because we look at them and we go, oh, well, I would never do that. And the reality is, if we haven't already done it, we're just about to start doing it. We need to recognize that the easy thing for us to do when we recognize who God is, is to run from Him. And it's only through the recognition of the gospel, our need for Him, that we will be able to get back in tune with Him. Jonah. It wasn't until he said, I'm ru- I am running from God. It's nobody on the ship. It's me. I have run from God. You guys killed me. Throw me over the boat. Throw me over the edge. And they toss Jonah into the ocean. They murder him. Have you ever looked at that before? I mean, they murdered Jonah at his request. I will throw you over. Can you imagine just for a second this? He's in the water. Clouds everywhere. Water everywhere. I'm going to die. The ship pulling away slowly. All of a sudden, he hits the water. And when you read it, this is the order it happens in. The water goes calm, like less. The clouds part and go away. Can you imagine for a second the boat floating away now that the water is completely glassy? Wait, I'm, I mean, I'm coming back. Uh, you know, I'm right here, and then a fish. Bam! I mean, those are not good circumstances. But what happens to Jonah? When he recognizes his need, he gives it all away. Romans 12.1, he became a living sacrifice. Why? So he could become one of the greatest missionaries to one of the greatest cities in that entire empire and turn lives towards Christ. What happened with Saul? Yes, Saul was going against God. He was blind for three days. But when he gave in to what God's plan was for him, instead of running from God and embracing God, what happened to him? He wrote most of what you're reading in the New Testament. He became the greatest missionary that ever lived, the greatest church planter who ever lived. Because he was willing to say, it's not about me. God knows it. Instead of running from him, I'm going to have peace in God, knowing it all. I love that. So, we go to the next section of seven or six verses. God knowing it all, God being present and being there and being available for us. And then David has this, uh, when we read the next six verses, one of the most popular areas in the entire book of Psalms. And he begins to break down this emotional outburst of God knows me and God is with me. Look at this. In Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am 
fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you as... We read this, it is an absolute celebration of what David knows about God. Now, we live in a culture much different than what David was experiencing, but his social media was, hey, I'm going to write it down for people to be able to read. And so for us, times 10 or times 100, it would be kind of like us on social media going, hey, I just got engaged. Right? Or I just got the promotion at work, or my child just hit a new milestone, right? And you're acting like you don't know what I'm talking about. Everybody in here knows what I'm talking about. Because what happens when somebody celebrates on Facebook? What do you do? You hit the like button. You want to like it. You want to celebrate with them. You want to be a part of that. We're celebrating with you. So, really, what we're experiencing in this passage in verses 13 through 18 is David basically saying, guys, if you don't get this, you're missing it. Because God has formed us from the time that we were in our womb until the day that we pen these words and the day that we till the day that we die until Jesus comes back. And we have to have that same realization that when we understand that God knows us, when we understand that God is present, that we also understand that God has power over it all. That He loves you and has value in your life. Now, I was watching um, three weeks ago, we planned a big uh, senior high Super Bowl party, and do you remember there was a blizzard? So I watched the Super Bowl alone, and uh, was longing to be with all the teenagers uh, because of all the good food, which is <laughs> And so I was at home watching the Super Bowl, and one of the reasons why we watched the Super Bowl is because of the commercials that come on when you watch the Super Bowl. So, I, mean, I like a lot of the Super Bowl ads. And one kind of struck me. I laughed at it at first, and then afterwards I started thinking about it. And I was like, this really is exactly what we're talking about here. Because it was the commercial about a, a truck. And there was a, uh, a picture, kind of like a like 11 by 17 or something. And in the picture, there was a truck and a man standing in front of the truck. And then they had another picture over here, the exact same picture. The only thing they did was they took the truck out and they put a car in. And in the ad, they showed it to different focus groups. I mean, they showed it to children. They showed it to women. They showed it to other men. They showed it to an older crowd. They showed it to a variety of different people. 85% of the people that, that looked at that, they were given the choice. You know, who would you rather your daughter date? You know, who's more manly? You know, who, who, what kind of pet would the guy with the truck have? Oh, like a, like a, like a big old German shepherd, right? The guy with the car, you know, he'd have like a cat or something. No offense, all right? So, you know, and it was like the same. Same guy, same thing. The only thing that was different was the vehicle. And 85% said, he's more likely to be manly, he's more likely to have a dog, he's more likely to be able to grow a good beard, you know, those kinds of things. 
<laughs> and what I started thinking about was what we had done in our culture is we've begun to add value to people based upon what they have. Basically, what that commercial was saying is there's value being added to the individual because of a shiny metal and plastic object that he owns. And what the reality is for us, when we look at Psalm 139, is that David says, nothing on earth should be able to add value to a person who is created in the image of God, right? The God of the universe who created us to be like him, that we have the maximum amount of value, that we are cared for the maximum amount, that he watches over us the maximum amount. And in the moments when we need him the most, are the moments that we don't remember that truth. God knows us. God's there. And God has given you value. God has power over everything that we do. I love, I love that in Psalm 139. And then what David does as we move towards the last few verses is uh, David begins to share with us his reactions to uh, the people who don't respond to God the right kind of way. In, in verses 19 to 22, let's read that. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. What a contrast, right? And he's talking about the value of a person. And then he's like, oh, that you would kill them, you know? It's like crazy, but, oh, men of blood, depart, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And I mean, there's not a consistent way to look at this passage and understand it, but the way that I've understood it is like this. That David was not only the king, but he was also the judge. So he was the judicial power of the land. So David, after realizing all the things that God is and all the things that God does, he begins to sit as the judge of the land and people come to him and the same people that he wrote this song for them to sing are coming with things that are morally against what God would desire and he begins to have hatred towards the actions of people who after knowing God are willing to willingly commit moral acts against God. And he hates them with a righteous hatred. He's like, how can you do that? And what is amazing to me is on the same breath of that passage, he turns the token and he begins to say, wait a second, I'm the judge, I'm judging them, I'm showing them that they're my enemies because they're enemies of God. And then what does he do? He turns it on himself with one of the most beautiful and most quoted two verses in all of Scripture. And he goes to these two verses as a soul-searching prayer. And this is what he says. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So instead then of him putting all the blame on anyone else, he turns it on himself. And this is where this passage becomes an x-ray. Because it's a requirement for every one of us to respond to this. Where am I 
when I hear about knowing God? Where am I when I hear about what, that God is with me, present? Where am I when I find out that God is all-powerful, right, and that he has given me value and knows everything about me and wants me to live my life for his glory? Where am I? Because I feel like for me, now David wrote this passage not right after he had done any sin. This wasn't after he sinned with Bathsheba. This was not after he sent Bathsheba's husband to the front lines to be killed. This was not after anything. He wrote this passage after he became king. After he was in this promotional period of his life. And I feel like for me, if I get the moment of promotion, or if I get a moment of, uh, of excellence in my life, the easy thing for me to do is to say, wow, look how good I am. Maybe not to anybody else, but at least to me. Wow, man, I'm really proud of myself. I did a, I did a great job. Patting myself on the back. And the thing that David does, I think is so important for all of us, is that when he has this moment of searching in his life, he begins, or this moment of promotion in his life, he begins to search his heart. He says, God, find in me anything that you would find that's not worthy. He's basically praying, even find the things that I am unaware of to make me more like you so that I can be more... See, he's never comparing himself to the people that he's around. Maybe that four verses or whatever there. But at the end, he says, it's all about my comparison to my God. I'll fall short, short, yes. But I need to make sure I search my heart. It's easy for us, guys. It's easy for us to look at this and say, well... God knows my thoughts, but you know what? As long as I don't say it, I'm cool with God. But the reality of that is this, and that is in um, the Word. The Bible says, what you think in your heart, so are you. And the thoughts that we have, if you sow a thought, you'll reap an action. If you sow an action, you'll reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you'll reap a lifestyle. And it all begins with our thoughts. And I think that's why David begins with his thoughts. Search me, O oh God, try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way. Try me. And lead me in the way of life. Because for every one of us in here, it doesn't begin with our actions. Our actions are only a byproduct of what we've already had in our mind. So my challenge to you and my challenge to me is to respond. Don't leave without responding, because this is what we ought to do. I mean, a beautiful poem, a beautiful passage of scripture, but it is also wrong. And it gets right to the core of where our spiritual need is. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me to know my thoughts, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Would you guys pray? with me today as we close. Father, I'm so thankful that when we open up this passage, or really any passage, God, you hit us exactly where we need. God, I am praising you over the fact that we have these amazing words, Father, to be able to teach us and challenge us and encourage us and equip us 
for the work uh, that you have for us, realizing, God, that you have perfect knowledge and that you have perfect power and that you have perfect presence in our lives so that, God, we can recognize where we are and move to where you desire for us to be. And God, I'm praying today, and Lord, as we respond in celebration with song this morning, that these moments would be moments that we can search our hearts and that we can honestly ask you the question, would you search us? And get dirty and get wrong because that is what moves us from where we are to where you desire us to be. In Jesus' name.